my heart, I was right there. My heart was shattered all over again. I, um, I just wanted to hug her right away. That, that, that's what I felt. I just wanted to reach through that TV and just grab her. Now on the news hour, another stabbing in a series of attacks on transit in Surrey. How victims' families are coming together for support. Plus. No more patients left for these patients after a hospital ER chronically shuts down due to staffing shortages and. This isn't a windfall, it's not free money. It's a bill that's gone unpaid for over 100 years by the government of Canada. A historic agreement. The feds and province reach a resolution with five BC First Nations that'll see them receive hundreds of millions of dollars. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. The BC Wildfire Service says this brush fire on Coldwater Road was spotted today. A frightening sight in the interior this afternoon that might not bode well for our upcoming wildfire season as crews are currently tackling this grass fire. Now it's about nine kilometers south of Merritt. It's currently classified as out of control and about 10 hectares in size. No word yet on how it was started, but fire crews remain on scene. For the third time in two weeks, police in Surrey are investigating an attack on board transit. And now the city's mayor is asking for more resources to help those in her community feel more safe. Transit police say officers were called to Surrey Central Skytrain Station just after 1 o'clock this morning after a man in his 20s was stabbed on board a train. He was rushed to hospital with a stab wound to his abdomen. He has since been released from hospital. RCMP and transit police are looking for a suspect. There's currently no word yet on a motive for this attack, but it's believed the suspect and victim did not know each other. This attack follows two other stabbings on transit buses in the past two weeks, including one that left 17-year-old Ethan Bespflug dead. This afternoon, Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke says she is now looking for solutions to try and stop the violence. It's also about better use of technology and how they can use uh, technology better, but it's also about resourcing. And so uh, certainly I'll be talking uh, with the Premier and, and the Solicitor General and, and the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions uh, to see if there's, if there's a way we can better resource uh, uh, transit police and, and help with some of the, uh, the needs that are uh, obviously um, in our way right now and something we have to deal with in a different way. This week's tragic death of Ethan Bespflug brings back some painful memories for another lower mainland family who also lost their son during an attack on board a transit bus more than a decade ago. As Julia Foy reports, both families are now consoling each other while pursuing justice for their loved ones. The Cloverdale Skate Park brings back happy memories for Jason Kehoe and Tammy Krawitz. Their 18-year-old son, Jamie, was an avid skater. But his life was cut short in 2011 when he was stabbed to death on a Surrey bus. On April 11th, 17-year-old Ethan Bestplug suffered a similar fate. And I like, literally asked God, please never touch my children. That's all I have. When I saw the interview, um, it just brought me right back. I mean, it was so similar, the interview on the couch. It, it, it 
it almost made me feel like it was happening to us again. My heart was shattered all over again. I, um, I just wanted to hug her right away. That, that, that's what I felt. I just wanted to reach through that TV and just grab her. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is continuing to search for witnesses and information on what led up to Ethan's death. Jamie's parents know how horrific the situation will be for the family. They contacted Global News to make an offer of emotional support. I know exactly what she's going through. And I, I want to I wanna reach out. I want to reach out to her. We asked Ethan's mom, Holly, on Saturday if she would like to meet up. She said yes. I really need to talk to other people who've been going, like, gone through it. Because this is like a pain that like no other person knows. I've been through so many losses. And this one is like a complete, it's an earth shattering loss. It's like, I don't want to be here anymore because of this, but I have to, you know. A celebration of life is being planned for Ethan at a Surrey Park on Thursday. The Kehoes don't want any more families to suffer as they have. If there's no knives, there's no stabbing. So please, please, kids, just leave those knives at home. Julia Foy, Global News. Ridge Meadows RCMP are investigating a stabbing in Maple Ridge. The details are slim at this point, but we can tell you the stabbing took place around 1.30 this morning near a house in the 12,000 block of Garden Road. Emergency health services say paramedics transported three youth victims to hospital, one of them in critical condition. So far, no details from Mounties about what may have led to the attack. A Metro Vancouver man who made the VPD's top six gang members list in 2021 has been charged in connection with the murder of a Naramata woman. Ikeni Anibo, who turns 24 this year, is scheduled to appear in Kelowna Court Tuesday in the 2021 murder of 57-year-old Kathleen Richardson. Anibo was arrested by Vancouver police in October 2021 and charged with firearms offenses months after the department identified him as a gangster who posed a risk to public safety. Court records indicate another man, 23-year-old Jalen Falk, is charged with murder and will also appear in court Tuesday. Richardson, whose friends say was not involved with drugs or gangs, was found dead in her Naramata home in June of 2021. At the time, RCMP believed her death was linked to a double homicide one month earlier. In May of 2021, Kamloops brothers Eric and Carlos Fryer were discovered dead on a forest service road near Penticton. There appears to be no let up from residents in Merritt concerned about the state of emergency health care in their community. For the second straight weekend, they rallied outside their local hospital over what they say are chronic closures at their emergency room. Kristen Robinson reports. Merritt residents making it clear they want their emergency room open 24-7. This isn't health care as we know it here. This is third world health care that we're getting here. This is a blue collar town. People work with their hands. People are blue collar workers. You get hurt here, you need a hospital. Three out of ten weekends, we don't have emergency uh, doctors on staff. It's ridiculous. When this is shut down, the closest ER is 85 kilometers away in Kamloops. We need to hire back some more nurses and doctors. We need to stop the closures. Since January, the Nicola Valley Hospital's emergency department has been temporarily closed eight times due to staffing issues, including 
unexpected limited nursing availability, unanticipated limited physician availability, physician vacancy, and unexpected physician vacancy. We're throwing everything we have at it, and uh, I appreciate the concern of people in Merritt because I'm concerned too. BC Health Minister Adrian Dix says the province is working with the community on fundamental responses. That's why we've made so many changes to encourage doctors, nurses, and others to come here. And what we're looking for is obviously to deal with the situation that people are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and support our healthcare workers and as well have long-term solutions. I think it's an absolutely solvable issue. Make it more attractive for people to come and work here. What is the problem here? We need to get to the bottom of it and find out what the hell is going on. The mayor says he's asked for an investigation, while community members vow to keep the pressure up. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A major development today when it comes to treaty agreements in this province. Five B.C. First Nations have reached a deal with the province and federal government related to treaty land entitlement claims in parts of the Peace region. Travis Prasad joins us now in studio with details. Travis, this agreement stems from a treaty that dates back to the 19th century. That's right, Kamal, and it's being described as a broken promise to First Nations that's being fixed many, many years later. The provincial government is returning a significant amount of land to five Treaty 8 nations in northeast B.C. Blueberry River, Doig River, Halfway River, West Moberly, and Soto will see 115,000 acres of provincial crown land turned over to them. That's roughly the same size of Vancouver and Surrey combined. On top of that, there's a cash settlement of $800 million to be paid out by the federal government. This all dates back to the signing of Treaty 8 more than 100 years ago. Canada set land aside for the First Nations in the Peace River area, but not the amount that was agreed on by the nations. Premier David Eby said the nations were cheated back when the treaty was signed. Here's more of what he and one of the chiefs at the press conference had to say today. By settling these treaty land entitlement-specific claims, we're restoring the rightful amount of land that was promised under the treaty and all of the benefits that should have flowed at the time to those nations. These agreements are a critical step forward. They're going to provide greater stability and predictability for everyone in the region. We still have a long way to go. However, in the spirit of truth and reconciliation, we are seeing more alignment between the government and First Nations in this country. We are seeing real action. So this settlement brings nearly 30 years of negotiations to an end. Important to note that it only involves five of the Treaty 8 nations, not all of them. The feds would not say how the $800 million is being divided between the First Nations, saying there's still a stigma around these types of cash settlements. Federal Indigenous Crown Relations Minister Mark Miller says the money should not be seen as a windfall for the nations, but rather a debt that's been owed to them for decades. Kamal. Thanks so much, Travis. That's Travis Prasad in studio for us. And Abbotsford police are investigating a violent home invasion that left two people traumatized. The incident took place on a property where a cannabis farm operates. Officers responded to reports of a break-in just before 1 a.m. on April 10th in the 1500 block of Bowman Avenue. A number of men entered a residence on the property, brandished a firearm, and assaulted two residents. The two victims who suffered minor injuries were not connected with the marijuana grow operation, but instead work on a farm on the same property. 
Police say the incident is concerning because innocent people ended up injured. Anyone with information is asked to call police. And coming up next, Vasaki celebrations return. Everybody is very happy to celebrate it together. The preparation, planning, and the payoff after a three-year pandemic hiatus. And see if you can solve this decades-old mystery, a wedding anniversary pendant more than 80 years old. The clues we have so far in finding the owner after the break. It's a sight we haven't seen in the streets of South Vancouver in four years. Tens of thousands of people packing the neighborhood to celebrate Vasaki, a public celebration the community hasn't been able to mark until now due to the pandemic. Paul Johnson has more on its long-awaited return. How's this for proof that you live in a great and diverse city? South Vancouver Saturday saw the return of Visaki. Its music, color, and food make the annual Sikh festival a feast for the senses. What a loss it was to see it canceled for three years because of the pandemic. What a joy it was to have it back. Finally, we missed it for a couple of years. It's good to be back. It's kind of nice. Amidst everything, First the motorcycles, then the men marching with swords signal the arrival of the holiest of the floats. For the Sikhs who approach and take a bow, it's a spiritual moment. But even if you're not a Sikh, you're welcome to come up and watch. That's the whole point. Sikhism believes in brotherhood and well-being for the entire universe. While many religious groups give away food, you do it with the regularity and scale seen at Sikh festivals. Check out this mountain of pakora. Long before Anthony Bourdain, Sikhs figured out if you want to connect with people, give them good food. What's the best part of this? We get free food. We get free food. So mostly like a long time ago, people are wearing this in a, in a wedding or in a special occasion. Then there was this fellow, resplendent in his traditional Punjabi dress. Four years since the last time he could wear this on Main Street. Vancouverites have no doubt missed him. Everybody is very happy to celebrate it together. And uh, for everyone, happy Vesaki and Khalsa Sarjana Devas. Thank you very much, sir. In South Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Vancouver Coastal Health will soon be upping its incentive to encourage employees to take transit. Dr. Michael Schwant, a physician in Vancouver, shared the news on social media. Starting late this summer, the Health Authority will offer an increased transit subsidy for all active part-time and full-time staff. According to Schwant, the new subsidies will see employees receive 25% back on monthly one-zone passes, 50% back on two-zone passes, and 75% back on three-zone passes. VCH, which has more than 29,000 employees and medical staff, says it wants to support those who already use transit while also motivating others to consider transit as a commuting option. 
Victoria police are hoping the public can help them solve an 82-year-old mystery. See if you recognize this item. This wedding anniversary pendant was turned into the department's front desk on Caledonia Avenue this past Tuesday. And the inscription dates back more than eight decades. It reads to Elizabeth from Bill 27441, a gift from a husband to his wife in April 1941. Knowing it's likely holds great sentimental value, Victoria police are hoping to reunite the pendant with its rightful owners. Coming up, new pressure to clean up crime in Kelowna. People are fed up, that's what it is. Business people and the community are just tired. The opposition pushing for the province to step in after safety concerns skyrocket. Plus, support pours in for a Ukrainian newcomer stabbed at a bus stop. How the community is rallying around the victim. That's up next. Members of the opposition BC United Party, including leader Kevin Falcon, toured downtown Kelowna this week to see for themselves what area business owners and operators are dealing with on a daily basis. As Victoria Famia reports, they're calling on the government to put money towards improving safety and cleaning up the city. We just need government to, you know, give a hand to the people that you've created some real challenges for and at minimum provide some dollars to help them ameliorate a lot of those costs. That's the message from BC United leader Kevin Falcon. Those words came after he and Westside Kelowna MLA Ben Stewart toured downtown Kelowna on Friday and are now pushing for the government to make changes to an area labeled unsafe by many businesses that operate there. The safety of downtown is not great. I've been here 30 years and this is probably the worst it's been for us and our business. According to Falcon, the rise in crime and concerns surrounding safety are province-wide issues that are only getting worse. This is something that we didn't see uh, even a decade ago and now we're seeing it in every single community. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of social disorder, chaos, violent attacks, random attacks, assaults, thefts. And, uh, you know, so it seems to me that at minimum, government should take some of the dollars they've got available and help the small businesses to survive in a very, very challenging time. Those dollars that Falcon speaks of would be directed at cleaning up the downtown area, which would take the financial burden off small businesses who would otherwise be dealing with the problem themselves. To be able to pay for all the broken glass, uh, to help deal with the vandalism, the graffiti, uh, and a lot of the cleaning up of uh, human waste and needles and all the other things that they're having to deal with that shouldn't be part of a small business person's everyday existence. But it is, and these additional costs are layered on top of an already challenging business environment. MLA Ben Stewart echoing the same point, that this is not a problem that can be left alone. Frankly, Interior <laughs> Health is not doing its job. The government needs to find better solutions to deal with mental health and addictions. We need to make certain that we can really, truly make some progress. Earlier this week, Interior Health told Global News that it's working with the city, bylaw and the RCMP, adding that they are listening to businesses downtown regarding their concerns. People are fed up. That's what it is. The business people and the community are just tired. Victoria Famia, Global News, Kelowna. 
Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to find 27-year-old Javaria Ghani. Ghani was last seen on Thursday near 78th Avenue and 139th Street in Surrey. She's described as 5 feet 2 inches tall, 100 pounds, with shoulder-length black hair and brown eyes. Ghani was last seen wearing a black puffer jacket with baggy gray pants and black glasses. Police and family are concerned for her well-being. Anyone with information on her whereabouts is asked to call police or Crime Stoppers. And North Vancouver RCMP are asking to help locate Marina Clement. She was last seen yesterday around 11.30 a.m. near Lionsgate Hospital. Clement is described as 5 feet 8 inches tall with a slim build and blonde hair. She was last seen wearing a beige puffer jacket with gray sweatpants. Police say Clement is high risk and they're concerned for her well-being. Anyone with information is asked to call police. A GoFundMe page set up for the Ukrainian newcomer who was stabbed at an Edmonton bus stop this week has already amassed tens of thousands of dollars. Ivan Pilipchuk was stabbed on Thursday morning while waiting at the transit stop. He's now had part of his lung removed. He had only been in the country along with his wife and eight-year-old daughter for 13 days. The Ukrainian Canadian Congress is helping the family get into permanent housing and as he was the family's only source of income, the donations will be vital. I hope that we can actually settle them in some uh, place where uh, it's close to shopping. It's uh, in between the like a lot of Russian uh, slash Ukrainian speaking people. Uh, some, you know, where they, they will have a lot of uh, communication and help if required. Edmonton police say investigators are still looking for the suspect. Officers are currently working to obtain surveillance video of the attack. In Health Matters, the Public Health Agency of Canada says sexually transmitted infections have been on the rise in the last decade. As Catherine Ward reports, a well-known and expensive drug may be able to slow the spread. Doxycycline has been around for decades, but the oral antibiotic may have some untapped potential, according to researchers. Biologically, it has activity against chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis. A recent study found when men who have sex with men and transgender women took the drug within 72 hours of having sex without a condom, rates of sexually transmitted infections declined. We had enrolled 500, 501 uh, men and uh, found about a two-thirds reduction in gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis. The drug can treat chlamydia and syphilis as an alternative to penicillin, but is more commonly used for skin and bone infections, and even to prevent malaria. Doxycycline is approved for use in Canada to treat bacterial infections, but not for preventing sexually transmitted infections. Some doctors are starting to prescribe it off-label. I certainly do have uh, patients personally on this, and I have several colleagues who have patients on this. And these are people, you know, who are, you know, really do qualify for this. You know, they, they've perhaps struggled with several infections over the course of a year and are really looking to, uh, are really looking to be proactive in their health. But the drug may not work for everyone. A Kenyan study found doxycycline wasn't as effective for women. It's also very disappointing. Um, because, you know, right now we've been focusing primarily on one or two populations here in, in Canada and the U.S., but um, eventually there's, there's, a, there's a need in many other populations who are at risk as well. 
Another concern is whether there could be a rise in antibiotic resistance. These are the kinds of questions that I think a lot of public health officials and infectious disease docs would really like to have more information about. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. After the break, Yvonne and Barry join us with weather and sports, plus the need for speed and then some. In a sport where every millisecond matters, meet the Calgary team working to build a better luge sled and and give Canada the edge at the next Winter Olympics. That's later in the show. You're watching Global BC. It's warmer but still wet out there, so the question is, when can we see some of that sunshine? Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here with hopefully an answer to that question. I think we're all wondering. Yes, Kamal, but it'll be delayed until we see some of that sunshine, and I'll show you the reason why. We're still dealing with a significant amount of rain areas along the western edge of the island, and for Metro Vancouver, it's going to be soggy as we get in towards our Sunday. First off, we're sitting at 8 degrees. We've got that easterly wind at 19 kilometers per hour. There's that wave of moisture. Some of the heavier rain right now just along the west end. We're seeing breaks in towards the Fraser Valley, but we're not out of the clear just yet. It'll continue. We've got the system, frontal system, that's pushing its way along the south coast, and that's what's bringing us that rainfall. Now, overnight tonight with the rain, temperatures will be down to 6. Through the day tomorrow, we've got an additional 15 and up to 25 millimetres, and the winds continue to be a big weather story through the afternoon hours. Tomorrow, we've got those gusts of up to 50 kilometres per hour. Rainfall amounts as we look ahead by tomorrow night, higher amounts along the North Shore Mountains, and the area of concern is the western regions of the island. We still have a rainfall warning that is in effect that will go in towards this evening. Where we could see up to 100 millimeters in the winds, picking up with gusts of up to 80 kilometers per hour. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, we do have the snow level anywhere between 1,000 and 1,500 meters. And the sea to sky tomorrow, it'll be rain, but areas near Brandywine could still see up to 4 centimeters of snowfall. Flurries along the Coquihalla as well as the Rogers Pass, but through the day tomorrow, Allison Pass with up to 5 centimeters in the afternoon and evening along the Kootenai Pass with accumulating snowfall between 5 and up to 10 centimetres. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Coastal areas tomorrow, highs up to 8. A few breaks in there for Prince Rupert. Much of the central and southern half of the province will be tracking some instability. And with it, there is the risk of thunderstorms and we'll see those winds pick up anywhere with gusts between 40 and up to 50 kilometres per hour. Thompson Okanagan between 13 and 15 degrees. Whistler, it's the areas near Brandywine that we could see some of that accumulating snowfall across the island, the lower mainland. It'll be a blustery one through the day tomorrow with that rainfall anywhere between 15 and up to 25 millimeters. Now, I wanted to note Monday night or Sunday night into Monday morning, it'll be cold enough. Higher elevations could actually still see a few wet flurries in the mix. And then as we get in through the day, it'll be a chance of showers for most areas. A brief break for Tuesday night. The bright spot, Kamal, looks like we have to be a few days out. So far, it looks to be Thursday. Ooh, patience, patience, patience. All right, we'll wait. Okay, thanks, Yvonne. Returning to Vancouver's Wasaki Parade today, and our Michael Newman has more on the importance of this annual celebration, particularly for those in the Sikh faith. Lots of excitement here on the streets of South Vancouver. I'm here in the heart of Punjabi Market, which is a historic neighborhood where thousands of people are gathered to celebrate the community, uh, the harvest season, and the birth of the Sikh faith. Throughout the day, tents have lined the streets with community members participating in the Sikh traditions of Lungar and Seva, 
serving free food to anyone who is hungry, and sharing sweet treats and enjoying the floats going through the neighborhood. And this is a religious celebration, but also a cultural and community celebration that embraces everyone. And I got a chance to speak with some folks on the street about what it's meant to them to celebrate after so many years. Take a look. It's nice to see everybody and lots of different kinds of food, right? It was so nice to come and see the community together. And uh, it's just, you know, like a lot of fun, a lot of uh, good food. Nice to see familiar faces, people that you don't usually get to see, and also celebrate our religion. Like I've been here since 9 a.m. setting up and I feel like energy in me. I feel the energy in other people and there's just so much like joy and happiness for like that reconnection that we've been missing for so long. Bole Happy So many people are excited that this Vancouver tradition is back on the streets to celebrate Vasaki and excited for next weekend as the Surrey Vasaki Parade commence next Saturday. Michael Newman reporting from Vancouver Vasaki. Ah, that looks like so much fun. And I'm jealous. I'm getting very hungry <laughs> looking at that story. All right, Michael's a lucky man. Uh, Barry joins us now for a look at sports, and it's playoff time, baby. Uh, yeah, it is, except for, of course, the Canucks. Uh, <laughs> they, at this time of year, they have their year-end year media session, which they did today. The players, at least they don't have to answer any questions for a couple of months about uh, why they just don't play a lot of spring hockey. But we'll hear from the likes of uh, Quinn Hughes and JT Miller and Elias Pettersson coming up. And there's some nerve-wracking Tennis fans uh, going uh, at the Pacific Coliseum with the Billie Jean King Cup. Canada's on the verge of advancing past Belgium. So we'll have up-to-date highlights on that as well. And the Whitecaps are in action in Austin, so early highlights as well. All right, very busy day. Thanks mm -hmm. so much, Barry. Coming up next, a fuel leak spilling into community concerns. You could smell it with, within the whole house. I actually cried. That's coming up next. Some residents just south of Quesnel are speaking out, concerned about their water supply following a major gasoline spill. As Caden Fanshaw of CKPG News reports, the source of the spill has been found, but many say officials feel short in informing people what was happening. Meet Daphne Boucher, living here for the last 15 years. She says she'll never forget the day she turned on her taps and something wasn't right. You could smell it with, within the whole house, mostly in the basement. The leak was first discovered here, the Lataco gas and convenience store back in June of 2022. After further research, they noted it probably was happening since December 2020 when these tanks were installed behind me. In that span of time, it's estimated that 110,000 liters of fuel might have spilled into the ground, affecting Daphne next door and forcing her to move out of her home. It just was just frustrating and especially leaving my house and I actually cried. The Lotaco Dene Nation, they've tried to be proactive in managing this spill, but everyone is still on high alert. Yeah, it's very concerning, you know, um, it's it's definitely uh, no any news anybody wants to hear, you know. Fortunately, uh, we're very thankful for it uh, that uh, the surrounding residents have been uh, very uh, understanding of the situation, you know, uh, um, but, you know, we're, uh, we're here to provide uh, uh, health and safety for them uh, moving forward. 
Monitoring for any signs of gasoline will continue for community water and all the private wells located nearby with no end in sight. The latest uh, testing and everything, uh, we've only discovered uh, two additional homes. Uh, you know, that, that is a big number no matter what. Um, but, you know, uh, we do plan on uh, continuing uh, testing and everything for the surrounding houses and, you know, we, uh, just to stay ahead of this. Many continue to question the timeline involved here and wonder why they weren't told sooner. And it took 18 months to find it. That, that is just mind-blowing there. But after that 18 months, they knew about it, they did a repair, and it took 10 months after that before they told anybody that wasn't on that well system to be careful. In Quinnell, Caden Fanshawe, CKPG News. After the break, it's locker clean-out day for the Canucks. To be completely honest with you, I don't want to be traded. Who will stay and who will go this summer after another disappointing season? There is a next with sports. Get ready to move your body in May. BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer challenges British Columbians to move every day in May while raising vital funds in support of British Columbians facing cancer. Register as an individual or team at workouttoconquercancer.ca. This November, see Depeche Mode coming to Rogers Arena. See the 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees as they embark on their colossal 75-date Memento Mori tour ahead of their forthcoming album. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you by Return It Express. Got empty drink containers? Don't trash them. Make sure to hold on to them until you can return it for recycling. Barry Delay joins us now to take a look at sports. I love this time of year. You have <laughs> NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, mm -hmm. baseball's in full swing. I hear MLS you. MLS is up. Yep. April, October also fun. similar. But yes, I agree with you. It's a fun time. And the weather's supposed to be nice for the next few months. Yvonne, thank you. Uh, thanks, Kamal. <laughs> the NHL playoffs begin Monday. And the Canucks will be spectators again for the seventh time in eight years. Yes, there were some great individual performances this season. But as a team... Most of the Canucks' wins down the stretch uh, came with the playoffs well out of reach, very similar to the scenario last season. So it's one thing to win with no pressure. It's another when there's something to play for. So to me, the jury is uh, still out on this team. Now, if Thatcher Demko is healthy and the Canucks play a more solid defensive game like they have under Rick Tockett, I think they can be back in the playoff mix next year. But they've got to prove that when the puck drops uh, next October. Today, the players met the media for the final time with some optimism of what's to come. I think going into the year, everyone thought that we would, uh, you know, there's a chance we'd be in the playoffs, or that's what we were definitely striving for. So, definitely a little disappointing um, at this point in time. But um, I think there's, you know, still things to look forward to. I think, you know, uh, you know, Debmer being injured for a big portion of the season definitely didn't help us. And um, when he came back, I thought we were definitely better. You saw we went on that 10 and 2 run uh, a couple weeks ago. And um, looking forward, I think that it's. Uh, you know, we should be excited going into next year. I think a lot of my frustration earlier in the season was becoming from me, like I've said, like of getting out of my lane and not really, you know, wasn't, I was trying to do everybody else's job but mine. And I think that when you see a lot of turmoil and a lot of other, like, I, it wasn't just my hockey that I was, you know what I mean? It was a lot of things creating a lot of bad habits in my head and, you know, and work ethic things. And it, like, it's, it wasn't, you know, it's, it was just a lot of things I was worried about, you know, looking back, I think what I've learned is the only thing I've done differently when Rick's here is worry about myself and worry about my game and 
knowing that if I do that, everything else will just fall into place. So, I mean, he's been great with helping me recognize that. But, you know, I think just, you know, I definitely have a lot more trust and faith in the process now than I did in the beginning of the season. And that's probably, at the end of the day, it's probably as simple as that. I haven't thought too much about it, to be honest. Um, I like to live in a moment and uh, and just take take it day by day. Um, but I don't know. Well, I like it here, and so. Um, but we'll take that in the future, in the summer. To be completely honest with you, I don't want to be traded. Um, <clears throat> I've expressed to you guys how much I love it here. Um, you know, obviously it was a tough year, uh, personally, on some, you know, with my game and stuff earlier in the season. But um, you know, I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I didn't get traded. Really thought I started to find my game, you know, towards the, you know after that trade deadline and you know, the last bit of the season there, and you know I'm <clears throat> talk's been great, the whole coaching staff's been great, and you know, like these guys said, the the direction is, you know, everyone knows the direction that we're going. And Patrick Alvine and Rick Tockett will speak Monday. Women's World Hockey Championship from Brampton. Canada, Switzerland in the semis. Canada dominated but didn't score until mid-second when Sarah Fillier shoots and scores. one nothing, Canada. And then late in the period, Canadians trying the wraparound. That doesn't go, but it's Fillier one more time. Jamming in the rebound against two Swiss defenders. 2 nothing, Canada after two. Now 3-0 in the third, and it's Fillier who completes the hat trick. 4-0 Canada. They win it 5-1. Canada will take on the USA. Of course they will in the final. U.S. routed the Czechs 9-1 in the other semifinal. It was all on the line today at the Pacific Coliseum for Team Canada at the Billie Jean King Cup. Canada and Belgium were tied at a win apiece in the best of five after action Friday. Today, Leila Fernandez and Rebecca Marino had a chance to take Canada to the Cup Finals this November. First match, Leila against Yaseline Bonaventure, who beat Marino in three sets yesterday. Bonaventure won the opening set 6-4, but Leila... Such a fighter, rallied in the second set. Brilliant drop shot at net, and Fernandez won the set 7-5. She's pumped up, the crowd's pumped up, and we need a third set. Fernandez got an early break and just would not be denied in this. She's so fierce, rips the forehand volley winner at net, and Fernandez takes it in three sets, so Canada leads Two to one in the best of five. And then a bit of a surprise, Catherine Sebov got the call for Canada over Marino to play the next singles match. Marino had a long match yesterday, didn't feel well. So Canadian captain Heidi Eltebach felt that Sebov would give him a better chance to win. Sebov lost the first set but won the second 6-3. And right now she's up two games to one in the third. If Sebov does lose, the decider will be a doubles match. Dabrowski and Fernandez would play for Canada. Whitecaps on the road tonight in Austin, Texas. Vancouver two wins, three draws in their last five matches. First half on the attack, Ryan Gauld to Julian Gressel, who gets all of it, but saved by the Austin keeper. Caps had three shots on target in the first half, but no goals to report just starting in the second half. Canadian Premier League season kicked off today in Victoria. Pacific hosting Vancouver FC in their black and white colors, playing their inaugural match in the CPL. Early in the first half, it's Sean Hundall with the header into the back of the net, but the offside flag is up. It was the right call, still scoreless. Second half, Pacific with a chance to open, but Josh 
Josh Hurd denied by Callum Irving, who used to play for Pacific FC. But in the 81st, Pacific finally breakthrough. Manny Aparicio will drill it past Callum Irving, and Pacific wins at 1-0 the final. Vancouver FC loses its first ever CPL match. Premier League action, Manchester City and Leicester City. Man City in second, Leicester second last. Daler a danger of being relegated after winning this EPL six years ago. Fifth minute, John Stones smashes the left footer into the corner, 1-0 City. Erling Holland at another big day, scored from the penalty spot, and then another on this brilliant through ball from Kevin De Bruyne, the big Norwegian, showing his touch. Man City win 3-1. They are just three points behind first place Arsenal with eight games left for both teams. Blue Jays and Rays, Toronto snapping Tampa's 13-0 start to the season last night. Yusei Kikuchi, outstanding today. Nine strikeouts over six innings, just one run allowed. Jays starting rotation really giving them quality starts early in the season. Bottom part of the order provided the runs today. Whit Merrifield drills one into the gap in left center. Alejandro Kirk gonna rumble around third to put the Jays in front two to one. Kirk, also productive at the plate, had two hits, including this line shot the other way to right to plate Matt Chapman. And the Blue Jays do it again. They beat the Rays for the second straight time, 5-2. to two. Toronto now 10-5 this season, three games behind the first-place Rays. And some golf to finish up. Third round of the RBC Heritage from Harbortown in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Englishman Matt Fitzpatrick, the reigning U.S. Open champion, got his round kick-started with this shot on the third from the waist bunker, 149 yards out, couple of hops, that's in for an eagle two. Fitzpatrick, the low round of the tournament today, eight under 63, leads the way at 14 under. Defending champ Jordan Spieth at the 16th. This is a nice approach to just a couple of feet. And Spieth right there contending again at Harbortown. Solo third at 12 under, two off the lead. Now Patrick Cantley lost in a playoff to Spieth last year at this event from 43 feet. And this goes down for birdie. Just one back of the lead. He's in second. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor 38th at six under. And Surrey's Adam Spenson is 41st at five under par. That is it for sports. All right, maybe we can will some of that South Carolina weather <laughs> It would be Here nice. In BC. It it's looks so nice there. there. Yeah, it's always great there. Golf weather, hopefully, <laughs> coming up soon. All right, stay with us. We'll be back with more in just a couple of minutes. A group of Calgary companies are coming together with a unique goal in mind. They all make their living in the aviation, aerospace, and automotive industries. Now they're teaming up to design a vehicle so fast you'll barely get to see their handiwork until it's on the Olympic podium. Global's Kami Kepke reports. Luge athletes reach speeds of more than 140 kilometers an hour, withstanding extreme G-forces as they rip down the track. But in a sport where a tenth of a second is the difference between earning gold and missing the podium, teams are looking for any advantage they can get. The margins have become so tight within the sport um, that technology plays more and more of a role. Uh, obviously, it's very important for the, the athlete to be good and for them to be up to snuff and doing their job. But when they're doing that, they want to have a piece of equipment that's right there with them 
you know, able to, to meet their, their skill level. Luge Canada has brought together four Calgary companies specializing in 3D modeling, aerodynamics and manufacturing to build a better sled. It's a new challenge for these companies who are getting a crash course in one of the fastest sports on ice. Even though the athletes, especially the good ones, don't look like they're doing much, they're actually driving constantly. The way a sled steers, if you wanted to go to the left, you'd press with your right leg and left shoulder, and that actually twists. You can see how the sled moves like this. If you look at a luge sled, uh, there's a lot of freeform geometry, aerodynamics involved. There's a, a lot of engineering and design that goes into, into the sled, the pod, the suspension, you know, and you add an athlete to that and all the kind of dynamics that go along with that. And that's a great use of our technologies. International rules place restrictions on the dimensions of sled, but not the materials used, giving the team wiggle room to try something different. A lady single prototype has already been produced and tested with positive feedback from Team Canada athletes. Like there isn't a square corner on this thing. So these are very, very freeform, organic, aerodynamic uh, parts and pods that, um, you know, are difficult to make and manufacture. A men's singles pod is now being prepped for testing and a doubles pod is entering the design phase. The sleds are expected to make their debut at the World Cup in Whistler next year. But the ultimate goal is to have them perfected for the 2026 Winter Olympics. It's absolutely just amazing to be able to to do some work and whatnot and then know that we're helping our athletes and hopefully helping them get to the podium. Cami Kepke, Global Sports. All right. How much would someone have to pay you to try that? <laughs> I think I'd do it. Like Barry says, you gradually yeah. Yeah, start I would to just, train. Right? Uh, it's not like you yeah. start from the top. I think crazy carpet is still our speed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rolling around on these yeah. chairs is fast enough. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, quick look at weather, Iman. Uh, we are still tracking rain heavy at times. It's going to be a soggy one for Sunday. Uh, with it, though, the winds will pick up, especially through the afternoon, anywhere between 30 gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. As we get in towards Monday, Tuesday, still a bit unsettled, uh, but temperatures on Monday morning. Morning, cold enough that we could see some wet flurries for higher elevations, and then we'll look for, forward to some sunshine by Thursday. Oh, looking forward to that Thursday. All right, thanks, you too. <laughs> That's News Hour for this Saturday. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you all have a great evening. We'll be back at 11 o'clock. Have a great night.